Hello and welcome to episode 39 of Hidden Wings and Bloodlust, a podcast about ladybirds and ladybugs around the world. I'm your host, Rachel. This is part one of a two-part episode. Part two will be available in two days, and it's a very entertaining interview with CJ Romer. And I was originally going to do that episode as a standalone episode, but because I wanted to get episode 36 up as soon as possible, I rescheduled it. So for that reason, some of the same points I make in this episode are also going to be talked about in the interview. My podcast recommendation for this week is the Ungagged podcast. If you want to hear a lively, humorous discussion on Scottish politics every week from a progressive pro-independence perspective, then this is the podcast for you. And I've actually written a few articles and pieces for their website and recorded a few things for the older version of their podcast, which is still up. So check it out and check out their back catalogue if you've got time. The hosts include Deborah, who sings the theme tune for the podcast, David McClement, the only Green Party member in Scotland who doesn't have a bike, and sociologist Brian Finley. For one of the recent episodes, I appeared on their show to talk about the brilliant film Pride, which is all about the campaign Lesbians and Gays Support the Miners during the miners' strike in 1984-1985. to It's such a wonderful film and we had a very, very wide-ranging, in-depth chat about the film on the podcast, as well as a great laugh, so go check it out. Now, if you're a fan of Ladybirds, or a regular listener of the show, and you live in the UK, then you probably have heard something about the year 1976. It was 31 years after World War II ended. In the news, it was the year when Labour Prime Minister Harold Wilson resigned citing personal reasons. The year Apple Inc. was founded by Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak and Donald Wayne. The year the Seychelles became independent from the UK. And the year NASA unveiled the first space shuttle. In the charts, there was Don't Go Breaking My Heart with Elton John and Kiki D. Silly Love Songs by Paul McCartney and Wings. You Sexy Thing by Hot Chocolate. Play That Funky Music by Wild Cherry and Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. And in a foreshadowing of what was to come, there was even a topless Danish girl band which was featured on the pages of The Sun and other tabloids called The Ladybirds. Celebrities born in 1976 include Chadwick Boseman, Benedict Cumberbatch, Colin Farrell, Brazilian footballer Ronaldo and Reese Witherspoon. And in the world of film, some of the 20th century's best-known classics came out in this year, including King Kong, Carrie, Logan's Run and Taxi Driver. But that isn't why you're listening to the show. It might have been a great year for music and film and so on, but 1976 was the year when the UK was invaded by 23.65 billion ladybirds. And in this episode, I'm going to explore what happened and why, the impact on the country, and how it was depicted in the media. So 1976 was one of the hottest years on record in the UK. And bear in mind, this was before global warming properly started to make its effect known. From June to August, this is one of the driest, sunniest and warmest summers of the entire 20th century, with only a few places registering more than their average summer rainfall, creating a severe drought. 1976 has gone down in history as being the second hottest average summer in England since records began, 
with the hottest average summer being 2018. And according to the Central England temperature record, it is still the hottest average summer on record. For 15 days between the 23rd of June and the 7th of July, temperatures somewhere in the UK would reach 32.2 degrees and the hottest day of all was on the 3rd of July 1976 in Cheltenham when the temperature reached a scorching 35.9 degrees. The previous year, 1975, had also been extremely dry and the winter of 1975-1976 had been exceptionally dry. During the winter and spring, and bear in mind this is the UK and the spring, which is March, April and May, is very famous for its wet weather, many areas had no rain at all. I can't even imagine what that would be like. No rain at all in March, April and May, imagine that. It was the driest period in English history, with data stretching back two centuries. It's the driest it had ever been for two centuries, if, if not ever. The drought was at its worst in August 1976, and parts of the southwest went 45 days without any rain. Reservoirs, lakes and even rivers dried up, affecting farmers' crops such as strawberries and cereals and causing them to fail killing wildlife and livestock and even spreading diseases such as botulism as desperate animals try to drink infected water. It's estimated that among humans, excess deaths for 1976 were 20% above normal because of the heat wave, the excessive heat and lack of water. In East Anglia, the dry soil for the crops blew away during the wind. You know, the huge gust of wind that just blew away the the soil for the farmers' crops. And it's estimated that because of the dry conditions, over half of the Surrey heaths caught fire between June and August, and fires were often left to run because of the lack of water to put them out. In East Sussex, the record-breaking drought resulted in 40% of chalk grassland just becoming bare ground for that entire year. And as a result of this drought, Parliament passed the Drought Act. This gave the government emergency powers, both to ban hosepipes, which has happened several times when I was growing up, although not so much in the last few years, and to reduce or even turn off household or even commercial water supplies. According to countryfile.com, when the Brecon reservoirs dried up in southeast Wales, Maine's water supply was switched off for up to 17 hours per day and in some places, patrol cars would drive around looking for people using hoses and issue them with a full £100 fine. In some areas, not washing your car was practically a patriotic duty. According to Countryfile, standpipes had to be installed. These are these outdoor pipes where water is dispensed. And in areas which are not known for their lack of rainfall, usually such as the East Midlands, East Anglia, South Yorkshire and Devon. One pipe supplied up to 20 houses, just one outdoor pipe. And, you know, whereas now, you know, we've been having a lot of restrictions with the pandemic and not with, with COVID and there's catchphrases that the government use like stay home, protect the NHS, save lives or hands, face, space to sort of remind you to keep your distance and wear a mask and that. Back in 1976, the government had a different catchphrase, which you couldn't really escape. And it was, save water, shower with a friend. 
And, you know, I've actually, I've looked at photos of 1976 when I was researching this episode and there's like signs on all the roads saying like drought area, don't use water, save water, all of this. But if there's one thing that many people who live through this momentous year remember above everything else, it's the apocalyptic swarms of ladybirds. Ladybirds weren't the only insect to see a huge boost in their numbers during 1976. During the hot, dry spring and summer, there were massive clouds of butterflies which had benefited from the growth of the plants during the warmer than average spring. But according to Simon Leather, a professor of entomology specialising in aphids at Harper Adams University, changes in the production of cereals, specifically the introduction of Maris hunter wheat, could have caused a population explosion in the numbers of aphids. The warmer than average spring also contributed to a boost in aphid numbers and indeed there are accounts of huge swarms of aphids in the sky, turning the sky green and making up for the lack of greenery on the ground. But by June and July onwards, the lack of water and the boiling temperatures meant that the aphids were left without food and soon began to starve and die. But not before... Huge numbers had already been eaten by seven-spot ladybirds, especially the larvae, and this began to fuel a surge in ladybird numbers. Until the year 1976, ladybird numbers typically exploded every 10 to 15 years, according to the British Entomological and Natural History Society. But as the food supply literally began to dry up and the number of aphids dwindled, ladybirds began to wander through the country and as the abdomens of seven spots are black you know they've got these black abdomens and black legs when people looked up they would literally see the sky blackened by swarms and swarms of ladybirds now from conversations i've had with people who were around at the time seven spots don't seem to have been the only ladybirds which experienced an increase in their numbers in 1976 In part two of this episode, my guest CJ tells me about how ladybirds with reversed colours, which could have been pine ladybirds or two spots, and also these beige and yellow ladybirds, so many different types, were also very commonplace. But what everyone remembers is the seven spots. At the same time, a heatwave was also going on in Europe. In France, 1976 is also known as the Great Drought with the dry weather starting very early on in the year. According to one French website I looked at, the dry conditions in Europe were due to an anti-cyclone, usually covering the Sahara and parts of the Mediterranean, which moved up towards Europe, bringing dry tropical air towards the continent. Cereal crops fell by half, and as opposed to 304 millimetres of rainfall in Paris on an average year, there was only... 121 millimetres. These extreme weather conditions meant that the seven-spot ladybird population was about to increase further, as ladybirds from France and other parts of Europe flew over the channel and washed up on the beach. Some of them lost energy before they reached the seaside and drowned in the sea, filling the beaches and sea of southern and eastern England with dead ladybirds. The ones which did land both from the UK and Europe, were desperate for food and moisture. And on the beaches in Brittany and in other parts of northern France, a similar seven-spot invasion was taking place. Now, 
usually ladybirds, as we all know, are a docile insect. They're very calm, especially seven spots. And that's why children really seem to like them. Why it's always really nice to have a ladybird on your hand, have a ladybird on your finger, like let it run up your top of your finger and let it fly away, for example. But as they were so hungry, they actually began to view anything as a source of food, including humans. There are accounts of holidaymakers running screaming from the beach as flocks of ladybirds gave them what's described as very, very sharp bites. And indeed, this actually does seem to have traumatised some people and given them a fear of ladybirds, which is a condition known as coccinella phobia. The ladybirds also try to seek moisture because it was so dry by drinking salt water and they even landed on people and tried to drink their sweat. And as you can imagine, given the hot conditions, there are a lot of very sweaty people around during the summer of 1976. A headline in the Birkenhead News, a local paper based near Liverpool, read Freak swarms of ladybirds caused alarm in Birkenhead this week. The ladybirds, which are usually regarded as an attractive insect and the gardener's friend, took on a new menacing identity as they swarmed locust fashion over the town in a thick moving mass of red. The swarms of ladybirds were described as making the pavements into a sea of red sand. Newspaper accounts at the time even described how ladybirds were stopping the fun at funfairs, with some outside fairground rides having to be closed. And for our international listeners, funfairs are like a kind of travelling budget theme park that have typically got candy floss, dodging cars, ferris wheels, games, you get the idea, sort of hot dog stands, all that sort of thing. But in this case, instead of an afternoon of fun, the ladybirds, many of whom were very hungry, caused people to run away screaming. At many golf clubs, they actually had to be swept off the putting greens before the game could start. And the large numbers of ladybirds caused disruption to businesses, with some restaurant and cafe kitchens being shut because of the floors being littered with dead ladybirds. And you can imagine, you know how when you step on a ladybird or disturb it in any way, it has this yellow liquid coming out of it. You can just imagine like the staining that would occur, the smell, the... it would just have been a nightmare. And there was a lot of economic disruption. For example... Ladybirds would fall out of customers' hair. And in so many shops, there are descriptions of how they had to be swept up throughout the day and either thrown away or placed outside. And construction work even had to stop on some building sites with one workman describing how, in a quote to the local paper, that they seemed to be multiplying all the time. So in the mainstream media, as you can imagine, especially in tabloids such as the Sun or the Mirror, for international listeners, the tabloid newspapers in the UK are mass circulation newspapers with a lot of readership and often regarded as being quite sensational. The swarms of insects actually evoked memories of World War II, which had ended only 31 years before with cartoons depicting ladybirds as Nazi invaders from Germany, even with swastikas on their backs. And, you know, anything to do with the war or invasion, it's very, very prevalent in the popular culture of the UK. 
especially back then, it would have been the reference that people kind of went to. So 1976, as it was so recent, the war memory was still so fresh in everyone's minds. Some of the headlines talk about how horrific the events were and even describe these hungry seven spots as man-eating ladybirds scaring people at the beach. A lot of reference was made to the fact that the ladybirds were coming over from France in many cases and other parts of Europe, although some actually flew inevitably the other direction as well because ladybirds were from here were searching for uh, moisture and sort of attracted towards the sea in Europe. And inevitably, there were other visitors from Europe and even further south which took advantage. For example, swifts, swallows and house martins fed on the huge swarms of ladybirds and aphids filling the sky. As these birds are migratory and they spend most of their time in the air, they only usually stop to breed in the case of swifts and they need to actually catch their food as they fly. They've developed a tolerance to the defensive chemicals of ladybirds and other flying insects with these sort of defensive, bitter-tasting chemicals and so on. They can't always choose what they're eating when they're on the wing, so they have to have evolved such a tolerance. As there are so many ladybirds available to study, scientists were now able to spend so much more time than usual studying them, as there is no shortage of specimens for them to catch. In 1977, for example, a scientific paper came out on the red and orange pigments in the wings of seven spots, known as carotenoids. And you might have heard of this from the vitamin beta-carotene or vitamin A, which is found in carrots. And it was found that these colourings in the ladybirds were hydrocarbons. They're not of plant origin, so they don't get these chemicals from eating any plant matter. And in fact... The colour in the ladybird's wings are actually produced by symbiotic microorganisms. So, I mean, these are actually similar to the good bacteria in our own sort of systems, which is really, really incredible. You know, these bacteria help us digest food and, and all of that. And it turns out ladybirds have something similar helping them as well. So this paper acknowledges the huge amount of ladybirds available the previous year as helping with the research. While 1976 was an exceptional year in many ways, I remember when I was a kid around 1995 and there were huge swarms of seven spots along our driveway and in the garden during the hot summer and all over the roads. So as I've already said, according to the Royal Entomological Society, prior to 1976, these build-ups of the ladybird population and the resulting explosion would sort of occur every 15 years or so. And then after 1976, they never happened to that same extent. But they have happened on a local scale and on a regional scale. So, for example, it's happened in Norfolk. It's happened, you know, where I lived when I was growing up in Buckinghamshire. It's happened sort of in coastal areas again, but not over the whole country at the same time. So... You've got to ask, what is actually happening here and what explains these massive swarms? So, in 2009, 32 years after the infamous Ladybird invasion, similar events played out on a much smaller scale on a cruise ship near Morocco travelling to Lisbon over the course of six days. On this cruise ship, several thousand seven spots 
descended onto the upper two top decks. To such an extent, the ship had to be fumigated, although even after this fumigation, several pairs of mating ladybirds and single ladybirds remained alive. And it is thought that these ladybirds might have been coming out of hibernation, although another theory suggests that updrafts or air currents around mountainous areas might carry the beetles on the wind to elevated areas. And a study by Ivo Hodek, who is the author of a book about ladybird behaviour and ecology, plus a team of other scientists, noted that very frequently during the swarms, seven spots are drawn to seas, lakes, beaches and areas around bodies of water. And indeed, during this cruise, the uninvited guests were drawn towards the pool area. And this phenomenon has been noted near lakes near New York too. And during 1976, we can see that the coastal towns, the towns where everyone was going to the beach and trying to have a nice holiday, were hit particularly hard by these of ladybird invaders. And in this American study around the lakes in New York, I actually learned they invented a term for it. It's called the ladybug wash-up just because it's such a, a known phenomenon. So, I mean, at any one time, billions of ladybirds can end up washing up on the coastline. So, Hodek found that there are three main types of long-distance flights carried out by coccinellids, or ladybirds. Two of these relate to either travelling to an overwintering site to hibernate, or leaving it to breed. These flights happen regularly, Sometimes I think I've described how the seven spots fly up and down a mountain. You know, they fly up to hibernate or they might fly down to breed or sort of vice versa. And these flights happen regularly. But the third type of flight doesn't actually happen regularly according to a set pattern. Hodek terms the third type of flight as an appetitive or trivial flight. And it's triggered off by overpopulation and a shortage of prey, so they've got a, you know, they go off flying in search of aphids, and he views it as specific to aphidophagus, or aphid-eating ladybirds. Because if you think about ladybirds like 24-spot, that only eat plants, those ladybirds usually stay in one place for most of their lives, and even 16-spots, and um, ladybirds with a more sort of varied diet, don't really travel very far over the course of their lives. And Hodek describes how a single ladybird can produce numerous descendants if it's laying eggs in habitats rich in aphids. And as we've seen in 1976, the aphids were so numerous that they swarmed as well. So many ladybirds survived to adulthood and then as soon as they hatched out, they had absolutely nothing to eat. But Before the ladybirds pupate, the larvae will eat virtually all of the aphids and sometimes they actually do eat all of the aphids and then they have to turn to cannibalism or find other prey or other food which is perhaps less suitable for them. So after the adults hatch out of the pupa, there are very few or even no aphids left. So then they've got to start to fly long distances to find more aphids and if this happens over a large region as it did in 1976 where it was basically the whole country the ladybirds will form swarms and during hotter weather 
they flying on the wind and they're taken upwards towards the higher regions of the atmosphere and they're able to travel even greater distances along these air currents. The lake or sea breezes will mean that more and more ladybirds end up in the water or washed up on the shoreline as they're carrying the ladybirds down towards this body of water. So this is interesting actually because according to a paper by the Lost Ladybug Project, which is a North American organisation dedicated to conserving endangered ladybirds such as the Nine Spot, Harlequins and Seven Spots especially, but also other ladybirds as well, appear able to survive after several days floating in fresh water. And it's only when the water temperature goes below 13 degrees that massive numbers of ladybirds start dying. So even in the water, they can actually end up surviving several days in some cases, especially if they've got something to cling on to, like if they've got debris or leaves or something, they can, they can kind of stay a little bit more drier. But sadly, a huge number of ladybirds actually do die in these uh, ladybug wash-ups. Sometimes it can be over a billion that die in any one event by like one lake. And that gives rise to conservation concerns over what's been described as a massive loss of life. And it's been theorised in Hodex paper that due to the harsh conditions of some of these very dry summers, that ladybirds travel down to seas and lakes in search of water. And that when they're flying over the lake during the evening, the lake will cool down more slowly. And this differentiates the lake from the land and ends up just attracting more ladybirds to fall onto the lake. So how did this strange period in history actually end? Well, after so many aphids bred at the start of the year fueled the explosive growth in the population of ladybirds, unsurprisingly, the ladybirds ate many aphids. So, you know, there were so many ladybirds that they ended up, a lot of them just ended up starving, unfortunately. The harsh weather took its toll on the aphid population and the plants the aphids were eating were often drying up. And then when the ladybirds had eaten all or nearly all of the aphids, they couldn't find enough aphids to eat, so they ended up dying on the roads, shops, funfairs and beaches of Britain. But then finally, during the August bank holiday, it started to rain and the drought finally ended. The rain continued for 10 days. Jim Callaghan, who was the Labour Prime Minister at the time, had appointed a man called Dennis Howell to be the Minister for Drought. And Dennis Howell actually argued to keep the water restrictions going to allow all the reservoirs to fill up. And he even predicted that these laws on the use of water would be needed until December. But as the rain started pouring down, he started to become ridiculed and he was nicknamed the Minister for Floods. But after such a harsh year in farming, the rain also, even though it was a welcome event, the rain had a huge impact because many root vegetables such as potatoes then had to be left in the ground due to all the heavy rain as they rotted in the ground. And as far as the ladybirds go, although many of them survived until 1977, the unsettled weather and unpredictable supply of aphids took its toll And of course, as we've seen on previous episodes, wet weather also fuels fungal infections and other diseases. So there's never been 
a year for ladybirds as successful as 1976 ever since and all of these sort of big cycles or population explosions haven't happened to the same extent nationally since that year and you know every time there's something discussed about ladybirds in the national or even local media you know if if someone notices a little bit more ladybirds than usual people will say like oh it's getting like 1976 again or like oh will we see another repeat of 1976 look at all these ladybirds all of this sort of thing i even found a ghost story called the year of the ladybird which is set in that year just to illustrate what a grip it still has on the on the imagination and anytime there's an unusually hot bout of weather it inevitably fuels the comparisons towards 1976 because that's just like a such such a such an iconic event in a lot of people's mind especially if they live through it and whenever i've read about 1976 because i was born in 1988 about 12 years after whenever i've read about it i've often wondered could it actually happen again and according to professor helen roy if ladybirds have experienced a consistently cold winter, this fuels the population growth. And in 2020-2021, the winter was unusually cold. And while this does kill some ladybirds, it also saves their lives. Because if there's a cold snap once the ladybirds have really woken up, that will mean a lot of them will have burned off their fat reserves already. And they will be completely unprepared for another bout of cold weather. And so they'll die. But... Due to climate change, as the winters have been very mild the last few years, with a lot of fluctuations in temperature and a lot of unsettled weather, this means that a 1976-style population explosion is quite unlikely. Another issue is that ladybirds and aphids' life cycles need to be aligned, as aphids can breed quickly, whereas ladybirds can take months to develop, and only breed once or twice a year. So if they do so at the wrong time, it can mean there's not enough to eat. These huge swarms of ladybirds do lead to a large number of ladybirds dying and ending up in unsuitable places such as the sea. And what's interesting as well, while the summer of 1976 did cause a huge number of butterflies to hatch, it actually killed a huge number of butterflies off during the drought because the weather was so dry. And it's been described as possibly the worst climactic event of the 20th century for them. And so... When I read stories about what happened in 1976, I feel quite sad because although it was a freak event at the time, enough so that it's been burned into the sort of collective memory of the UK, the fact is that summers like this are becoming more and more common, so much so that it's not even exceptional. And temperature records have been broken from from 1976. So although it was hotter on average for a longer period, the individual temperatures are getting broken. And in 2019, temperature records were broken in the UK when the temperature reached 38.8 degrees C for one day. And it seems to me that soon enough, we won't even see this as exceptional. Like if you look at what's going on in America at the moment, you know, just temperature records are just being smashed all the time. And when I think about the loss of ladybirds and the loss of insects, hearing about this time just seems even more poignant. If the weather is too dry, it means that insects can dry out and so if for example a ladybird is in the pupa the pupa can dry out during a period of um, of extreme drought 
and it will make it difficult for it to get out of the pupa and so it will just be trapped in there. So although it's easy enough to go into the garden and find insects if you look hard enough, it's becoming ever more difficult for them to survive with habitat loss and the use of pesticides as well as climate change and more trees being cut down, placed with non-native trees or sort of monocultures and more and more fields being built on or just being made a completely inhospitable environment. But just to end perhaps on a more hopeful and positive note, this year we have actually had a colder than usual winter in the UK and it has meant that although the ladybirds are perhaps a little bit slower to emerge and get going due to all the cold and wet weather, you're now getting a huge number of larvae and pupae appearing all at the same time. And something I really am happy about, I've been really happy to see that a ladybird that's been declining, a lot of it's due to pesticides or habitat destruction and also the arrival of the harlequin ladybird. And that ladybird is, of course, the two-spot. The two-spot really seems to be making a little bit of a comeback in my area. In the last few weeks, I've seen about 15, including a pupa I found on stinging nettles in my local park, which hatched a few days ago. And, you know, I was so happy because I put it on the rose bush in my garden and I last saw it yesterday and it was just eating an aphid quite happily there. I've also seen lesser seen species, such as my first eyed ladybird larvae and several ten spots and cream spots. So despite the dismal weather over here, it does actually seem to have been a good year for ladybirds so far. And if you've been out for a walk in the countryside or anywhere that's kind of like a green space, you might have seen the enormous number of seven spots, larvae, pupae and adults, pretty much everywhere you go in the countryside right now. And if you want to know more about what I've just mentioned, like the two spot and the cream spot and ten spot and that, I will be doing these uh, species in upcoming episodes so I really really hope you've enjoyed this episode part two will be out in two days it's an interview with CJ Roma who lived through the events at the time and has got some great stories to tell about it I actually recorded it in April and I'm really looking forward to finally releasing it and I'd also like to thank CJ for all the help he gave me with this episode especially his recollections at the time and descriptions of how the media covered the events if you like this show and want to support me, you can buy me a coffee at Kofi, www.co-fee.com slash podcast, and subscribe on your podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Ghana, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can like my Facebook page, Hidden Wings and Bloodlust. Follow me on Twitter at podcast or on Instagram at 365.ladybird. And if you've enjoyed the show, you can share it with someone you know who'd enjoy it or leave me a review. All the sources in this episode are listed in the show notes. Music is by Deborah Torrance. Thanks for listening and goodbye for now.